Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey there, welcome to yet another <laughs> Lynn Cullen Still Alive. And uh, it is December 10th. Jeez, that means it's been one month since I went into the hospital to have surgery. Uh, seems like eons ago. Um, wow. But we've talked often, right, about how time during this uh, pandemic has has really lost um, its normal meaning, its sense, where, I don't know, I don't know. Anyway, I think there's lots of stuff I've got here to talk about. Um, I don't know that we'll be laughing as much as we did yesterday. <laughs> as a matter of fact, I'm quite sure about that. Um, but, uh, and that was a wonderful respite. I'll definitely have Sally on um, with more regularity if she's if she's game, and I I suspect she will be. Um, oh gosh, guys, where to start? I want to start with one thing that is easy. Just tiptoeing myself in a little bit. Um, I got a an email from Josh who said. Hi, Lynn, just heard this sad news, and what accompanies it is a is a picture of uh, an actor, David Lander, who played uh, the television character Squiggy. Now, I noted uh, his obit, his passing in the last few days, um, and I did not read it. I did not read the obituary. And for someone who's as into obituaries as I, you might wonder why. Well, I didn't because I thought, I don't know this guy. I never watched the show. There's something unappealing to me about his hair, <laughs> the character's hair. <laughs> And I just simply was not at all pulled in or interested. So imagine my dismay when I read Josh's email today. <clears throat> Hi, Lynn, just heard this sad news. Do you remember when you interviewed him? Here is my recent Facebook post remembering your interview. I remember he was a guest on Lynn Cullen's show back when she was on radio big baseball guy. He said he was at the famous Doc Ellis LSD no hitter game. Also, I remember in that interview, he said he was a student at Carnegie Tech, now CMU, and that that's where he and Michael McCain came up with Lenny and Squiggy. That was a really fun interview. Oh, dear. <laughs> I have zero memory of that. And I have often said that 
in order for me to recreate any history of my life or my career, I cannot at all rely on my own recollection because my own recollection is absolutely almost nil. And the same is true even of my my entire life, really. So I don't know what that says about me, that I don't, I certainly don't live in the past, I'll tell you that. I don't live in the past at all, but I don't even remember it. I'm sort of, dis, speaking of time, I'm I'm sort of dislodged from it, that I feel no sort of continuum. It is very odd and it's upsetting. Josh, I know you didn't mean to upset me by sending me this, this warm recollection of an interview I did with a guy who I have no memory of ever meeting. And this happens to me all the time. It is creepy. I'm assuming this was Laverne and Shirley. He was on this. How out of it I am. Yeah. And here again, I never watched that show. When was that on? In the 70s? Because I think all of these sort of iconic sitcoms and television shows and uh, popular culture uh you know, sort of landmarks and 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 points of <clears throat> where so many people can get uh, you know like get together and share memories and even even quote <laughs> you know from scripts. I have a zero memory, but uh, in my defense, in that regard, I did not watch television. Hardly at all. I watched a little bit in the early 60s. And then I think mid-60s, well into the 90s, I don't think I really watched it. Nor did I listen to the radio. And I remember when they came uh, to me, they came for me um, at WTAE to uh, fill in for one of the radio talk show hosts at the radio station. I said, I don't even, I've never even listened to talk radio. I don't even know what it is. How can I possibly do that? I don't know what it is. And they pushed me, and down I went. It was on the first floor. And, uh, wow, (laughs) my life opened up because I really liked it. But I, I don't, what was I doing? I don't know. I really don't know. But I, I am not a child of TV and radio like so many of my generation and younger are and i i don't know what it was i was doing i was probably sitting you know depressed in my room staring at the wall i don't know 
<clears throat> and uh, you know, this leads to some soul searching <laughs> about what kind of an oddball I am. But I don't I anyway, this freaked me out. So I'd had an interview with them. I remember very few interviews. Very few. I mean, I've interviewed God knows how many millions of people, not millions, thousands. And the ones that I can recollect are, you know, just a handful. And usually had to do with some connection made or that I was enamored in some way of the person, but gee whiz. Mm -mm. So I just have to share that. I don't know. It's mostly, I'm going to be living in my own head with this, but I, I, I really, um, I think in many ways, note to myself, talk to therapist, <laughs> talk to therapist. <laughs> why don't I, why am I not even, I don't know, a spectator or interested in my own existence enough to recall it. I'm somebody, many times people have said, you should write a memoir. You should write. A, I could no more do that. Even though I have, you know, great stories, which is why I was able to do that one, one woman show and just share some. And anything I shared are some of the memories I do have that I have kept, but I mean, we all do that, right? Where you disregard whole chapters of your existence. Uh, I guess we airbrush it. I tend to hang on to the parts that are good stories because I am by nature an entertainer. Um, so the everyday kind, I don't know. I'm sorry, I'm babbling. Speaking of our own histories, I came across something today. It's just another another indication of how <clears throat> we don't know our history, <clears throat> history, let's say, of our country. And the reason we don't know it is not necessarily our own our own fault, uh, because we were never taught it. Which is not to say we were not taught a history. We we were. But it was a bunch of myths, in many cases, a pack of lies. Every once in a while, a little factoid made its way in. So this was one of the unsettling things about anybody who graduated from high school and then went off to college. And in that first year in college, you get disabused of so much that had literally been, you know, put in your head like, well, specific propaganda that it was. But in today's New York Times, there is a, a, a little piece about uh, Johns Hopkins. We were talking yesterday about how Sally's last name is out of an S on the end, Sally Wiggins. Have you ever wondered how Johns Hopkins had an S on John? But he did. And apparently so did his, I think his father before him was Johns. That was his name, Johns Hopkins, a plethora of S's. 
But this is about that man, Johns, Johns Hopkins, who uh, famously, of course, founded a um, university and a uh, renowned uh, research uh, hospital. And the mythology, the history, let's just say, the history of John Hopkins, the man and the institutions he founded, have been well known for uh, you know, hundreds of uh, over a hundred years. Okay, and just now, people digging around in records have started saying, "Ah, uh, mm, whoops! It appears that that story we've been telling each other all these years." about this man are a pack of lies. And the story, as anyone who probably ever went to Johns Hopkins and was probably told at some, you know, welcoming seminar, Johns Hopkins was a 12-year-old boy away at boarding school when he was summoned home by his father in, did I say 1807? Yeah. To work in the family's sprawling tobacco fields in Maryland because his father, a Quaker, had had a reckoning, a moral reckoning with himself and had decided that owning slaves was antithetical to his faith. And so the young boy was pulled back to do the work the slaves had done because his father had freed them all. That's the story. That's part of the story. And then how young Johns grew up to be this incredibly successful businessman and a committed abolitionist. Well, guess what? Yeah, I don't even have to, right? It's bullshit. It's just a story that his descendants, he had no children. His niece wrote a book about her wonderful uncle and uh, and his father. And these stories that families tell each other about our histories and where we came from and what we stood for are often, what, 85% bunk. I don't know what bunk your family's been passing from generation to generation. But I'm start we had an, uh, an interesting thing in my family recently where we got an, an awakening of the bunk that we all thought about my father's family, which had been told us by his, my father, which had been told him by, I guess, his father, and which turns out to be historically totally inaccurate. And this we found out because in one of those fantasy things that everybody wants, I was contacted, as were my siblings, by lawyers from somewhere saying that some woman had died and had left no will, and they were looking all over records for 
heirs and that our names popped up. Never heard of this woman, never heard of what turned out to be an entirely different branch of the family, of my grandfather's family. So again, what we're told, what we believe, and why we have no reason to disbelieve, all of these stories, I guess they contain a grain of truth. Or not. Anyway, back to Johns Hopkins. The university has been really working on trying to find the truth. Turns out the university's motto is the truth will set you free. (laughs) And um, so uh, one of the uh, people that's trying to get to the truth says, uh, you know, for an origin story to be the foundational, to be foundational and durable, It also has to be true. So it's been late coming, but uh, Johns Hopkins is about to um, have its day to ponder the lies it has told itself and the unhappy truths that it has disregarded. There is no evidence whatsoever of Johns Hopkins' father freeing any slaves. For that matter, Johns Hopkins himself held slaves. There is no record whatsoever of him having been an abolitionist. In fact, Johns Hopkins did not admit the first black undergraduate to that university until 1945. So, that's this, you know, that ain't just Johns Hopkins, folks. That's us. All of us. I think there's a caller. Hello. Good morning. Hey, Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. Um, we love you because your babbling is always meaningful and entertaining babbling. Oh, so well, good. Stop. That's good to hear <laughs> because I am babbling. <laughs> and it, and in particular, t- today, when you were talking about, you know, not being able to recall things and so on, just a quick vignette that you, you might appreciate. Uh, my high school class is approaching its 50th um, uh-huh. anniversary. Yeah. And last spring, this past spring, we formed a committee to start planning our 50th reunion, which never of course, occurred oh, yeah. um, because of the whole situation. So we're postponing and hoping it'll be we can do it next year. But at any rate, um, tracking down uh, many classmates uh, from our class, I ended up finding about four, four or five of us that were particularly close during those years. And we ended up as a result of the planning for the reunion scheduling so we now do a zoom call with with each other every 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 couple of weeks and it is it is nothing more than just reconnecting and reminiscing about things but you know the amazing thing that happens is that when we're on these calls four of the five people for example will say well do you remember when such and such happened and and I will now. These were not just kind of everyday. These were kind of seminal events, right? In our right that they all remember. In our, in our yeah. class history, they all remember. Uh, I have not a oh, clue. God. 
Oh, and the God, same thing like happens, you know, the same thing happen, could happen with any one of us. You know, the same thing happens. You know, a small <laughs> group will, will say, well, what about this? And someone will say, what are you even talking about? That's not even possible or what, you know, what the hell? And it's just amazing how, um, but how remarkable that process of planning has been, how wonderful it has been to reconnect with a, a couple of these people um, has literally not spoken to each other for 50 years since we walked yeah. off the high school graduation stage. Yeah. And here, here we are kind of getting back together and just renewing those memories and <laughs> renewing those relationships. And uh, it's been a wonderful process. So I, I just thought you might appreciate hearing. Well, I that. do. And, th- and thank you very much. And, and um, I'm sure uh, when you do have your, your reunion, it'll be mind blowing. Believe me. Absolutely. We hope yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Thank Take you so care. much. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, Father Joseph says, well, if you don't remember things, then what I heard you saying, well, if you don't remember things, then what I hear you saying is that you don't hold grudges. Wow. Uh, let me think about that. I think I'm capable of a grudge or two. Yeah, maybe I, you know, listen, it's not like I don't remember anything. And I think sometimes when you feel someone's done you wrong, that might be something you remember. But I'm not much of a grudge holder. All the boyfriends in my life, all romantic relationships ended amicably. Um, Except except two, <laughs> but there were many. And I, yeah, so, I mean, I'm not one, and my, my divorce was amicable. I, you know, I don't, yeah, I'm not, well, I don't know. I know that bearing grudges is a, a bad thing, but I am capable of stewing over what I consider to be slights. Um, and Father Joseph goes on to say, at West Point, as freshmen, We weren't allowed to listen to the radio or watch television. We received the New York Times Monday through Friday, and we were expected to know it. Upperclassmen would ask us what we've read, and they expected us to read articles well below their headlines. Well, that's a good thing. I want to credit West Point for maybe, you know, making that a habit for, for some of you. I read newspapers and magazines voraciously from the time I was a child. And um, it only makes sense that that's where I got my love of, you know, following news, I guess. Uh, What we got here? Oh, the other day, (laughs) I noted, it was when Susan was on. Because she had a funny line when Susan was on. And I said, did you see that they've, you know, uh, Mount Everest is now said to be two feet taller. And I said, I was wondering how that happened. Was did it somehow grow or was there a new kind of more accurate measurement done? And Susan opined that it grew by two feet because of all the garbage people are leaving when they get to the top, which is, by the way, something that's so 
disgusting that all those people who go up there, you know, once they use something, they don't want to carry it anymore. They discard it. The whole, you know, going up the summit, you're like passing a garbage, uh, open garbage dump, let alone there's probably a bunch of dead bodies, you know, frozen all around you too. I can't imagine. Anyway, I, um, and then we wondered if, you know, Susan said, well, maybe, you know, because it, through, you know, tectonic activity and earthquakes and stuff, maybe it, yeah, got pushed up a a little bit more. But I couldn't understand that because if, uh, you know, in order to get pushed up two feet, that'd have to be one hell of an earthquake. And we would know about that earthquake. So anyway, I'm sure some of you already do know this, but uh, what it was is that China and Nepal um, that share that a border um, decided they would together uh, try to uh, do a new measurement. And uh, they did, and they found two more feet. Um, (laughs) And I'm not sure that they, let me see. There was a possibility having to do with uh, geological change. And uh, it says uh, here that scientists say, yes, Everest is getting taller because of tectonic uh, shifts. Uh, What is called the Indian plate is slipping under what is called the Eurasian plate. And it, as it does, it lifts up the Himalayas, but or the Himalayas, whatever you say. Uh, but in fact, earthquakes can reduce a mountain's uh, height. Anyway, they don't have a clue. Uh, it does, however, the height shifts with time and tectonics. There was a devastating earthquake in 2015 And it was widely speculated that uh, Mount Everest and others peaks in the Himalayas had lost uh, height. But now this suggests the opposite, whatever. Um, So it ain't easy to, as it turns out, to to measure (laughs) the height. Uh, You know, it takes... uh, surveyor types and people having to having to climb um up it and they have to um know always where precise sea level is since that's where the measurement begins right um and that ain't easy since you know it ain't anywhere near any sea (laughs) and then they to get this measurement they they had to climb they climbed it and they carried a global navigation satellite receiver uh and an antenna and they had to stand up there at the highest point for nearly 2 hours to capture certain data and uh they think they've uh they think they've got the best measurement the first time a surveyor had captured satellite uh data or data if you say that um, so that's it. That was just a follow-up. Thought you might find that of 
of some interest. Um, well, I'm not surprised to hear this. Apparently, before uh, Joe Biden and his crew uh, take residence um, in the White House, they intend to have that place fumigated. I mean, they are going in with uh, people with hazmat suits, <laughs> bring it down. I don't know about you, but personally, I would not want to move into my new house and, you know, sleep in the same room that Donald Trump had just vacated. I would not personally, but he's got to do it. So anyway, they are making plans to ensure that the White House um, is uh, is safe. <laughs> and who knows when uh, you know who's going to evacuate or or leave and in what manner and all that, all of that. We still uh, we can't help uh, speculate, but in fact, we don't know. There is some reportage that, and this sounds very Trump-like, that Trump uh, is considering trying to upstage uh, Biden's inaugural uh, by holding a rally in Florida at the same time. Doesn't that sound exactly like him? Doesn't that just have the ring of certainly plausibility uh, to it? Yeah. He had originally, I mean, some person in the White House say uh, that uh, the president was saying, I'm going to take Air Force One down and I'm going to have, and somebody had to, I don't know if they told him, hey, Air Force One ain't going to be yours to take anywhere uh, because Air Force One doesn't belong to you anymore. It has to be at Andrews Air Force Base, fueled, yeah, ready to go anywhere it has to to carry the president, whose name will be Joe Biden. So I don't know. Uh, we'll see. And this is going to be the kind of uh, crap that he will pull because of his his really sick, I mean, mentally ill need for a guy of such uh, extreme narcissism to have managed in his dreams and in reality to ascend to the most important, supposedly, job in the world. That position which gives somebody more attention than anybody else all over the globe. For a narcissist, to grab that gold ring, brass ring, <laughs> he is never going to be able to let that go. Anything now is a step down. 
And I don't think a narcissist, now that he's been fed at that level, that ego of his has been fed at that level, is going to be able to let it go. So I don't know what we're going to be in for, but I'm going to suspect that it won't be pretty. Uh, hang on here while I sort of regroup. You know what, by the way, he's doing today? Yeah, you're president. Um, he's still trying to get the election um, overthrown. Um, and today he's having lunch let me get this straight, at sort of a late lunch. He's having lunch, I have it here, um, at 12.45. And this lunch will be held in the cabinet room. And he will be lunching with, I think, a number of attorneys general of the states Republican states who are trying to get the Supreme Court to overturn the election. <clears throat> now, we all know, because we're not insane, that the chances of the Supreme Court overturning this election are nil. Even a court filled with extraordinarily conservative justices, even a court with one-third of the justices elevated to the court by Trump himself. And of course, in his screwed-up head, he thinks that means they're beholden to him. <laughs> um, now, I'm a little unclear, but I think it's 17 states, 17 attorneys general are going to be having lunch in the cabinet room at 1245 today with Trump. And these are states that have joined this great state of Texas. And it's the Texas case that they are behind. So these are the states that are petitioning the Supreme Court to overturn the election. Um, I, we've, in the last four years, we have lost the capacity to uh, recollect what our reaction to this kind of thing would have been pre-Trump. Because these outrageous things are happening and have happened in the last four years with, you know, every hour on the hour. And will continue to until January 19th. In fact, unfortunately, I saw some unsettling news today 
that and this we we did know that Trump apparently had wanted to attack um, Iran. Um, and this was what last month. And uh, he, even his sycophantic uh, top advisors uh, talked him out of it, including Mike Pompeo and uh, Pence, who said it could, it would, could, it would ignite violence all across the Middle East. But of course, that's sort of what he would want to do. Why? Because he'd be leaving Joe Biden this steaming pile of you-know-what on his desk when he comes to work the first day, as opposed to the letter that other presidents leave their successors, wishing them well and giving them advice. But there is some concern that Trump might still want to do it. And his time is running out. As I said, he has till January 19th to pull something like that, like this. And that now that the Supreme Court is going to turn him down too, as has every other court, um, now that his chances, even if in his head he really thinks that he has a shot at winning this election, um, as, they, as that goes up in smoke, then he's going to have to do something to create the kind of pandemonium, the kind of chaos, the kind of sort of vengeful action that he will feel, I mean, a, a need to do because he's nuts. He's as bad a man as there is. Seriously. So anyway, I know that's a little unsettling, but I wanted to uh, let you know. Gigi writes, family stories. In my family, it was the opposite. No one told stories of family. Aww. Until we were in our 30s, my sister and I never knew that we had a great-grandparent who had fought for the Union in the Civil War. And he did that shortly after coming to the United States. We never knew. I know one talked about this. Yeah, that's wonderful. After finding this out, I went to Manassas and found his name in the book of soldiers who fought there. I got more into genealogy and eventually found out that my mother's side of the family dates back to the 1600s in this country. And they were founders of a now large county in Maryland. For whatever reason, I don't think my mother's family knew their history. It's a pretty amazing it's pretty amazing to find all this out. Hmm. Yeah. 
Well, I got a feeling, yeah, I do have a feeling that most family histories, um, especially those where there are no records, as in many Jewish families, um, uh, it's you really need a professional genealogist to to uncover much of, I think, m- most if you're a Jew of European uh, of Eastern European um, origin, as as I am, it is really next to impossible to go back um, much more than the latter part of the 1800s. It just isn't. Those records have gone up in smoke. They've been destroyed. Um, a lot of name changes, you know, trying to run for run for their lives. It's just, you know, unmarked graves. Who knows? There's a, there's just no no way. And a lot of um, Jewish families, I know, it's it's the same as being, uh, you know, um, an African American, somebody whose family came to this country uh, in chains and was enslaved and also who lost their names, their history and all of that, that becomes very hard um, to do. So you, especially European Christian white people, you're very, very lucky if you are interested in your history to, um, to be able to trace it. I mean, I, I would, I would just love to, to know, but I don't think it's going to happen. I know I do have, uh, a second cousin who does try and, um, he's found little things here and there, but, um, it's, it's next to impossible. Um, Oh, which reminds me, what is that show on PBS, Finding Your Roots? Is that what it's called with, um, what's his name? The Harvard professor? Is that uh, Gates, right? Am I right? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, here again, the head. I happened upon it. I Boy, that's an interesting show. I happened upon it. He traces the genealogy of famous people. And... I happened upon a show, although I missed the first part of it, where he was doing uh, the genealogies of two of two men, one of whom was uh, Senator Sanders, okay, and the other of whom was a guy who mimicked him on Saturday Night Live, Larry David. And he did both of their genealogies. And I swear, I can't remember much of it. But at the end, he he told them both that they, in fact, although granted it's a little bit of a string that they were related (laughs) which might be why they are so yeah you know Larry David has no trouble uh, 
why am I blanking on Sanders? I don't want to tell you that because then you'll think I'm, I'm really becoming decrepit and you'll, you'll never listen to me again. Um, I think I might have a caller. Go ahead, please. Good morning, Lynn. It's Ella from Ken Hills. How you doing? Oh, hi, Ella. I got your sweet note. Um, just the other day when it was, it was finally sent to me from city paper and thank you so much. Oh, you're so welcome. The reason I'm calling, I'm coming to your defense, but first of all, I'd like to wish you a bright Hanukkah. I hope the light oh, yeah. is real bright for you tonight. Thank you. Okay. Uh, you I too. learned this. Thank you. I learned this about a year or so ago and it's, we all have a, uh, a gate at our conscience or subconscious. And when you're interacting or learning new things, you have the uh, capacity to stop it. You have a, like a gate. And this, uh, Charles Hannell, uh states it this way, when the watch man is off guard, in your case, it would be the watch woman. The subconscious mind is then open to the suggestion of fear, hate, selfishness, greed, whatever, and negative forces. So what you, I think when you interviewed Squiggy, you just did the interview, but you didn't allow it to go through your gate. Well, well, there was that and there was a million other interviews. I don't have any memory of any of it. People say, how long were you at WTA? I don't know. When did you go to? I don't know. Well, that's okay. You didn't, you didn't put that in your, you didn't allow it to go into. I don't know what I put in there. My my gatekeeper, whatever this is, is yeah, uh, I think I'm, I'm going to fire the the woman because I, she ain't doing the job. Well, okay, you'll give someone else a job. And another thing I wanted to say, you made the statement, I don't live in the past. Well, it really helped me because I was on a wildflower uh, trip with Carla College and there was a nun that directed it. Uh-huh. And I asked her about a certain flower, and she goes to me, I don't know, and I don't care. Oh, and my God. Said, oh, my Lord. So <laughs> I, I mean, it really, really hurt, but I didn't want to mess up the trip. So I get home, oh. and I call her on the phone, and I said, Sister, why did you say that to me? Well, I don't live in the past. And that's the answer I got. Wow. So thank you. Thank you. Oh, I don't know God. how it's gonna how it's gonna uh, get out of my mind, but this is what you have no. to do. You have to tell people what's on your mind. But that did it. Wow. Well, thank you. We don't. Thank we don't you. Know. You're so welcome. So long. Thank you, Ella. Okay. You're welcome. Bye bye. 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 Happy Hanukkah. Um, I think there's another caller there too. Hello. Hello, Lynn. This is Father Joseph. How are you today? Oh, I'm fine. Are you in your car or something? I, I am. I am. Uh, I hope you can hear me. Um, I, I can. So, yeah, so I think two things about uh, President Trump in regard to his impact after uh, Biden takes over. I think uh, the first thing will depend on the media. If the media continues to cover him and cover every little tweet and things like that, that would be I mean, the mainstream media. That would be uh, not helpful. <laughs> so I think that would be, you know, they've seen him as a, uh, they've been blinded by a shining light. They're mesmerized by his, this, this, this shiny thing. And that's Trump and his tweets. So I think that's going to be a problem. Okay. Uh, right. Cause I want to ask you, 
what is your gut feeling about whether or not the mainstream media will suck it up and ignore the bright, shiny object that is Donald Trump? I, I think that I think it's going to take them about a year to really get over it. <laughs> I mean, uh, as we move on to other things, I think I think every presidency has uh, some sort of significant event that really focuses on how well the president uh, manages his, his staff and handles, handles the crisis. I would like to say there aren't going to be any more crises, but I think there will be. And I think that's really going to shift the media's attention. Um, mm-hmm. And I think some of the things that Biden does will help if he's going to be more um, transparent with the media. I mean, actually have real press conferences and things like that. I think those things will help as well. Yeah. Uh, there are other... Now, there's some fringe organizations that will continue to carry, uh, continue to act as if uh, uh, Trump is, might be the shadow president or something like that, um, and, and, and hopes that, uh, you know, they can keep things going. But I think that's more about um, viewership and readership and, and dollars than, than anything else. So uh, that, that's, that, that's the first thing, I think. The other thing is that um, some of the moves that Trump is making on his way out, I think he reclassified some government employees. Yes. To fire, uh, there's a classification series in which you can do uh, sort of like, sort of like if, if they're they're there at the at the uh, the discretion of, of of the administration that's in power. And so I think the government uh, federal employees union is really upset about that. OMB has reclassified, uh, I think, or tried to reclassify like half this population. Uh, it's, 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 it's employees to do that. And I think the issue was uh, Trump is always suspicious about a deep state. And right. so, in so doing, he's trying to reclassify a bunch of folks and then quickly put his own people in there. And, and in, in so doing, he's trying to create his own deep state. Uh, That's right. That is exactly right. And the not, not a lot of people are paying attention. Uh, to this. It's amazing. Now you can bet he doesn't have the smarts to do this, but there are people around him who are engineering this kind of thing. And that's true. That's oh, true. He's I, trying to put his own deep state in. Yeah. I think you speak with precision there. I think that he's around himself with some, some uh, um, uh, true ideologues, true ideologues right. who are going to do those things. And I think a lot of this, the things he's done are based on those ideas. So that, yeah. that's the issue, the issue. So uh, we'll have to wait and see. I think it's going to take Biden, mm, I, I think it's going to take him two years to really get things going after he cleans up the mess. The irony is, you know, there was this mantra about drain the swamp. Remember that? <laughs> he, brought, he, brought, he brought the swamp in bucket loads and... <laughs> So the whole thing strikes me as rather ironic. Well, ironic is one word for it. Oh, gosh. Well, yeah, the interesting times we live in are going to continue. There's little doubt of that. It's always good to hear from you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Um, so there's also this... Uh, the feds and a bunch of states, uh, you know, going after Facebook for essentially being a monopoly. Duh. <laughs> Excuse me. 
and let's add to that uh, Google and Amazon. Uh, God, We're, this is a very monopolistic time. And these gargantuans have, without a doubt, um, uh, created uh, global monopolies that if we do believe in a marketplace, <laughs> have to be broken up. But whatever case that is, uh, believe me, its, it's pathway through our judicial system will enrich untold attorneys and last probably longer than um, I'll be alive. So I'm not waiting for any quick resolution. Uh, I, I wanted to share one other thing, and, and this, again, it has to do with history, knowing it. Um, and being disabused of stuff you you knew or people you admired it's hard it just it's a constant isn't it um i read the other day and this is not what i was going to talk about how the you know the great author children's author Roald Dahl is that how he pronounces it uh was just this flagrant Jew hater. I mean, he just, he didn't hide it. He was, even up until his last days, was, you know, filled with such just gut hatred of Jews that it's mind-blowing. Now, that doesn't mean I can't, you know, a Jewish kid can't enjoy what his books because that crap didn't make his way into his books but it sure as hell takes the wind out of you yeah so here's something else you i want to note the passing of uh chuck yeager who was always this bigger than uh life uh figure and on top of that, handsome as holy hell. I, always, I just, I remember even as a young girl when I was reading about him breaking the sound barrier and stuff, I just thought, God, he's good looking. So I had a crush on this guy uh, since the 50s. And reading his obit, you know, this is the guy who, when Tom Wolfe wrote the right stuff, this is the guy who he was. He was talking about this is the guy who Sam Shepard played in the um, another guy I loved uh, played in the uh, in the movie. Um, I mean, everything about him, he you know, he's just, you know, so I was reading the New York Times though, a bit. And, uh, you know, about the breaking the sound barrier uh, no one had had the nerve to do it because the sense had been that as soon as you got to that speed, the plane you were flying in would be torn apart, literally torn apart by shockwaves. And this guy was brave enough to say, well, let's give it a shot. And... um 
he started as a plane mechanic and uh, had a high school education, uh, came out of small town, West Virginia, and enlisted in the Army Air Force, and then made his way into being a pilot. And then World War II, he got shot down uh, over France by the Germans and uh, survived, parachuted into woods, was uh, luckily found by French underground um, who patched him up because he had uh, leg and head wounds. And, uh, and then he made his way, mostly on foot, to Spain, which was neutral. He had to climb the Pyrenees, apparently carrying a, another severely wounded flyer with him. And then they were returned to the base in England, where, <clears throat> generally speaking, a pilot who'd been through that kind of thing was not put back into combat. <clears throat> he, however, petitioned to go back. And... Um, on October 12, 1944, he led a three-fighter three fighter squadrons. He downed five German planes over Bremen, Germany, which made him an ace in one day, and then shot down another four planes a few, uh, the next month in one day. So he was quite the ace. He even went back to Vietnam flew 127 missions. But then there was this thing in the obit, buried deep toward the end of it. And it pulled him off the pantheon, he, the pedestal I had him on and made him just a a complicated, very imperfect man with a horrible flaw. Uh, Chuck Yeager was, you know, right there when President Kennedy said, we got to go into space. And um, Kennedy said he wanted a diverse group to be part of the effort to select the first astronaut corps. And of course, back in that day, the first, uh, the, the, the effort for diversity uh, certainly didn't mean any women, but the understanding was, was that a black pilot would get in. And one did, Edward Dwight Jr. He had been a former test pilot like Jaeger. He was the only non-white astronaut candidate. He was, needless to say, or you would know his name, never selected. He retired from the Air Force in 1966. He became a sculptor 
And I remember reading about him, actually, not maybe a year or so ago. It's a story that breaks your heart. And uh, he became a really very good sculptor, and he specialized in creating bronze sculptures of heroic figures in black history. But last year, he sat for an interview with the New York Times. And he said this, because Chuck Yeager was in charge of this astronaut training class. And Edward Dwight told the New York Times this, I will quote him, every week, right on the dot, General Yeager had called me into his office and say, are you ready to quit? You know, this is too much for you. And you're going to kill yourself, boy. Calling me a boy. And I'm an officer in the Air Force. Breaks my heart. Jaeger was asked about that. And he wrote to the New York Times this. So this would have been last year. Isn't it great that Ed Dwight found his true calling and became a sculptor? He also said that he had never called him boy. Well, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I don't believe Chuck Yeager. All righty. Well, I think that's it for me this day. Actually, this week. Good to be back in the saddle. Um, have a have a good four days. Uh, again, happy Hanukkah to my Jewish listeners. And uh, please, please be safe. Be extra, extra safe. Okay? I'll see you Monday. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.